If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18, page 981 in the Pew Bibles, 981. And uh, as we, we turn, I would like to begin with a short prayer. Uh, God will take care of you. We've just sung and uh, we are remembering that uh, Miss June Carlisle's grandson, he was 39 years old, he died yesterday, or died Friday, and uh, she is on her way to Tupelo, and we're, gonna, we're praying for her, I told we would, and uh, Zeke is going to Atlanta area this week to bury his 21-year-old nephew, so let me pray for them. Father, we have just sung that you will take care of us, and we believe that. In the midst of death and discouragement and hurt. And Father, we lift up Miss June Carlisle as uh, she is in Tupelo now. And she mourns with her family at the death of her grandson, Justin. We pray for Miss June. We pray for David and Vicki who are Justin's parents. Lord, we, we pray for Missy Washburn who is Justin's aunt. Lord, we lift up Zeke to you. We, we pray that as he officiates the service of his nephew, and we thank you that his nephew loved Jesus and knew him and is in heaven, but it's still hard to, to lose such a young person. And I pray for Zeke's family, his sisters, and, his, and as he stands and brings God's word of comfort, encouragement, of hope, and points to Jesus, uh, you will guide him and fill him with an extra measure of your spirit. And Lord, now as we look into your word, we pray that our hearts would be open, and he that stands before this group of good people here, you would speak through him. Father, shut out anything that is spoken that is not of you. And yet, Father, if you do deem to use this word uh, may you drive it deep into our hearts and may our spirits be open to listen, to obey, and to apply. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been, a, again, a good and delighted time to be a part of our ministerial staff as we've been preaching uh, through now the book of Philippians. And... Uh, Paul is writing to uh, this group of people in the book of Philippi. Uh, most, most commentaries think, and, and I do think as well, that this was Paul's favorite congregation that he started. This would be his sweetheart group of people. And I won't go into it all, but they have supported him uh, with money and you know, sending people to him that no other church did and you can just you can just read the book of Philippians and you know this is a special church uh, yet this was a church that had issues and problems just like all the churches that Paul wrote to and guess what all the churches today there's not a church that's without problems and if you find one keep going because you will be the problem but we don't want that but um, Paul is writing to a church that's uh, under pressure and it's becoming 
more intense pressure. Paul is writing through, uh, writing from uh, Rome, and he is under arrest. He's in prison, and uh, and he will have more pressure upon him. Uh, I read this about a kernel of corn this week that uh, you have to have heat and pressure because the shell of a corn is non-porous and, and steam has to go somewhere and the resulting pressure that you put upon a corn kernel with 355 degrees of heat will burst the, the shell apart and then produce what's inside it. And if you like popcorn like me, you like what comes out. And that's the same way God is saying with a, a church or an individual, you're going to have pressure that's going to be brought upon you. And God says that he's going to use that for our good, not because he hates us. If you look at the book of Job, Job's friends, when they come, they're basically saying, you know, you've done something wrong, Job, and God is getting you. Um, that's not the case. Uh, as Deborah and I and the kids were coming back from our family reunion in Georgia, we were listening to a Tim Keller sermon on Job, and he makes this statement that God uses suffering to produce the greatest spiritual growth in a person. It's no fun to suffer, but God is going to use it to produce deep maturity <clears throat> in our sanctification. Paul has stated three characteristics and we're going to talk about the fourth one tonight about what God desires to reveal during times of suffering and pressure on a person or congregation and these characteristics are true for a family for a business for a team for a nation that if these people in our church will understand them and have them woven together in our lives God's going to do a fantastic work I believe that what are they well the first is found in Philippians 127 you don't have to look but I'll read it to you and that's courage only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. The Greek is talking about a military term, and the term is you take high ground and you keep it. No matter what comes your way, you keep the high ground, because if you get driven off that high ground, you're going to lose the battle. And it takes courage when you're under fire. So the first characteristic that Paul is writing to the Philippian church he said, you've got to have courage. You have to have courage to do the right thing. You have to have courage to follow after me and to obey me. You have to have courage to love and be unified. The second thing is unity, which is found in Philippians 2, 1 through 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. And of course, he writes this, and then afterwards he says, this is what Jesus Christ had, which is humility. 
But look, standing together in love and thinking about what is best for one another, moving in a unified goal, being on the same page is critical. It's critical not only for our church, but for a family, for a ball team, for a government, for the military, being unified, saying this is the direction we are going. This is what we believe Jesus has directed us to. We're following it. The third is humility found in Philippians 2, 3, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others, having this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Humility. What is your attitude towards yourself? Is it me first always? It's easy. Or thinking of others of their good at their expense, looking out for the interest of others. Jesus is the example. I'm ashamed to tell you that last yesterday, coming down 589, coming home from Jackson, I was, I had a lack of humility behind the car going about 20 miles below the speed limit. And I was grinding my teeth and I was getting close to them and finally they turn off. I'm, Thank goodness. And then they stop. And I go, oh, and honk my horn. And I hope it's not anybody here that I honked at. And I kept on going. I said, what if that was somebody in my church? I said, I didn't recognize it, but I don't think, that, but that was so lack of others. And I was thinking today, I said, they, they may have been lost. They may have had a turnoff. They didn't know. They were, and some crazed guy in a big truck is behind them. They I had no humility. I wanted me first. And it's easy in our own lives, in our church, to say, as long as I get my way, instead of saying, no, I want what's best for the others, as Christ wanted for me, who gave up the right to be recognized as God to walk in our midst or on the midst of the earth. And to be crucified. And when they put him on the cross and they even said, hey, if you're God, come down from me. He could have done it. But he didn't for my sake and your sake. And then last, the fourth is endeavor or effort. This is what we're talking tonight. For the sake of Christ. Philippians 2, 12 through 18. Let us read God's word. Therefore, my beloved, as you now have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you all shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be poured out that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. We're going to look at quickly three E's effort, evidence, examination. First is effort in response to grace. These three, effort, evidence, examination, 
Help us as we live for Christ and have effort in participating, building the kingdom of God. Verses 12 through 18, I mean 12 and 13, they, these verses must be taken together. Because, for example, it's easy to say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It is up to you. And we know a couple of things. One is that salvation is not up to you. We know that from Ephesians 2, 8, 9. That God gives you salvation as a gift. We know that from John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Romans 3, 10 through 11. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. We're not going to come to Jesus Christ because we just have a little bit of spark inside us. We are dead in our sins and trespasses. We as good Presbyterians know that. Okay? So first of all, we know that our salvation does not depend upon me or you. It depends solely on God's gift, gracious gift to us. And that's why we're Christians. If you're a Christian, that's why you're a Christian. It's not because God couldn't do without you in heaven or that you're a lot better than me. Christy, you're much better than me. I know you don't tailgate people down 589. No, we're sinners. And God says, you need a savior. And so I give you salvation. Now, how do we respond to that grace? And that's the effort. You've been given something so wonderful, so precious. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with salvation that's been given to you? Spider-Man was told by his Uncle Ben, with great power comes great responsibility. I hope I'm not being sacrilegious by saying that. But we have been given something so wonderful and great. What are we going to do with it? The word beloved in verse 12 conveys divine love of God because of a personal intimate experience with God. The word has a close association with agape. We know that word agape. That means Love at the expense of Christ. God's love at the expense of Jesus. And so, he's writing to people who are Christians already. Obey. He says, as you have always obeyed, the word Greek word conveys divinely loved by God because of a personal intimate experience with God. You're acting on the authority of one speaking. You're listening attentively because you want to do something. I was thinking... I wonder if anybody in here has ever been in the army or the military and you had to throw a live grenade for the first time. I was just thinking, the first time my father had to do that once, the first time the sergeant handed him a grenade and said, this is going to be live. When you pull it and throw it, I think my father was listening very intently and he wanted to do everything that sergeant told him to do because he didn't want to get blown up. And that's the idea, listening intently to something that's been given to you so precious and you want to do it. Not because you have to, because you love God. And then working out your salvation in Er Eho. You can ask David Irvin if I pronounce that right after the Greek. It's an effective action because of God doing it. It's going to happen because God is going to make it happen. Christians are effectively engaged in their sanctification, maturing in their faith. Because God is working in your will and in your heart. 
That's good news. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. John 16, 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. The Holy Spirit gives us understanding as to what the will of God is in our lives and creates in us the desire to carry out that will. For the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. In Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, there's a Greek word for power. We get the word dynamite. Because salvation is for everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Because Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation. We've got dynamite within us in a sense by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the application as we go, we know that this salvation has been given to us. Now, what are you going to do with it? Okay, we haven't earned salvation, but God says, I expect you to do something with this precious gift. Well, there are two things that we can do when we shouldn't. Number one has been to be a pacifist. Just to say, well, I'll just sit back and let God work in my life. I don't have to do anything. And that's not right. You can't just sit there. Well, I'm just waiting for God to, to move in my heart before I talk to people about Jesus, before I read my Bible, before I pray, before I get involved in anything of God's work. I'm just going to wait and let God. Because after all, I'm a Christian. I'm going to heaven. I had a guy in college. That's what his life, life story was. Hey, I walked the aisle. Can't be a pacifist. All relationships have responsibility. Nor can you be an activist. By that, I mean, hey, if I don't do something, God's kingdom's not coming. I got to be his feet. I got to be his, his hands. Got to be his mouthpiece. I got to go. I got to do. I got to do. I got to do. And if we do this by our own power, we're going to burn out. Because you're thinking, I got to do it. Or it's not going to be done. And you'll live under a guilt trip. That's legalism. It says to work out with fear and trembling. What does that mean? I'm not sure I have it all, but here's what I've come up with. I know that in my own power, I'm inadequate. And I'm afraid that if I try to walk out and do it all on my own, it's not going to get done. And I'm going to fail. But I also believe this, that he's equipped me. He's equipped you. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11. And I desire to be involved in kingdom building. And he's given me gifts and abilities, and he's given you gifts and abilities, and he wants you to be involved. And I see obedience as a blessing, not a hindrance in my life. And I hope you do too. Not always I fail, and I'm going to talk about a little bit when you fail. But I have awe and respect of God, and I have great awe and respect of salvation that's given me. And I want to use it in the right way. Which brings us to evidence that encourages and reveals verses 14 and 15. Why do football players, if they want to be good, lift weights? Why do they put a lot of effort into weightlifting? Because they want to win games. They want to get stronger. They want to get faster. And when the night lights are bright... They want to dominate the other players so they can win. Why do people with gardens, and my, my cousin has a beautiful garden I just came from. Uh, if y'all ever get to uh, um, Carterville, Georgia, you're going that way, call me. I'll tell you, go by. It, it's a wonderful garden. Flowers. Oh, my goodness. And I, I wonder, Lewis, why do you spend so much time? 
because our family reunion went out there and made all these pictures, and they're beautiful. He gets to enjoy the beauty of his handiwork, but he puts a lot of work and effort and energy. Same way with farmers when you're growing crops. It takes effort and energy, but it produces something, and we get to enjoy it. And, and quickly here, verses 14, there, our, our evidence. If we're going to put evidence or, or effort in, what is the evidence that God is responding to our work? And that's where he says, do all things without grumbling or questioning. That is within the church he's talking about. And we, we see that out of chapter 4, we're dealing with two women. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. The Greek word means to mutter a complaint under your breath. That's what I was doing yesterday. Questioning means a calculated response that is selfish in nature to produce disunity, conflict, and confusion. And so Paul is writing to them. He's going to get more specific in chapter 4. But he says, you got a lot of disunity. you got a lot of grumbling. And you got a lot of questioning in the church. And it's not to be that way. I think Paul was thinking of Exodus 15. When the people start grumbling and complaining, they don't know have enough water to drink and then exodus 16 they don't have enough food to eat they say we should go back to egypt we should go back to being slaves why are we out here in the desert well you brought us out here to die and really they're saying that to god and god says it's okay i'm gonna see him through and it's okay to disagree it's okay to debate and challenge one another but as long as it's in a loving way as long as it's done in love and humility and unity and the courage to say, you know what, you're right and I'm wrong. I have sinned, please forgive me and let's go forward. So within the church, he's saying, let's not grumble. Let's not have arguments, conflict and disunity because we want our way. Then he says in verse 15, what about outside the church? Well, he says, you'd be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Crooked, crooked and twisted is what it's describing. The Greek word for crooked means curved and perverted. The word twisted means corrupt and distorted. All I got to do is look out, read the news. The things of the world, they want money, they want power, they want pleasure, they want sex, they want to be their own God. And we, as we walk out of there, we're walking, God says, you're walking in a straight way. You're following after me. He also says to be innocent, and that means an unmixture of purity. Like gold jewelry being free from other metals that bring down the value. And this deals with our own spiritual walk. The walking of the twisting, that deals with our character. And then he's talking about our spiritual walk. Paul also must have been thinking of Matthew five fourteen through 16. When Jesus said, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a stand, it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine 
before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Not glory to you, but glory to your Father. So the application here quickly is how do we do this in the community of believers? And then how do we do it before the watching world? How do we not be activism saying, well, I got to earn my salvation? No, we're not doing that. But we don't want to be pacifists and just say, I'm not going to say or do anything. I'm not going to disagree. How do we do it? I'm not sure, to be honest with you, but I, I have five things that we together as a church can do as a Christian. And he talks about one is the word of God. We study it, we read it, we meditate on it, and then you apply it. And Paul says here, it's interesting, that we, verse uh, 16, holding fast to the word of life. And then it talks about also that we, as we hold fast, the Greek word means to hold out to somebody, to give it to them. So we are to be giving the word of God to people. Whether they receive it or not, that's not up to us. But we just tell them, hey, why do you believe the way you do about homosexuality, about money, about whatever? So, well, this God's word says this, and I believe it. So the word of God, number two is prayer. Pray without ceasing, asking God for great and mighty things. Crying out to God. Say, God, I messed up driving down 589. I know I'm, but please forgive me and don't let that person who I was honking at feel bad. Lord, be with our people as we pray. Be with Zeke when he goes tomorrow to Atlanta and he buries his nephew. May people know and believe Jesus Christ because of Zeke and because of Zeke's sisters. Lord, be with June. Lord, be with Sarah as she goes back to Ole Miss. And as we all, you know, Lord, be with Bentley as he goes to school. And people look at Bentley and, and they say, Bentley, why you go so full of joy? And Bentley's praying, Lord, give me the right words to talk to people. And Joan, when you go to pharmacy school, church, we need the church using our gifts and abilities. We need each other. We need to tithe our money. We need to worship. We need the community of believers. D is others. We need other people. One-on-one -on -one is sharpening iron, sharpening iron, being discipling. Being discipled and discipled. We need to be in relationship. RUF says large group, small group, one-on-one. -on -one. We need one-on-one. -on -one. Others. And last, this is the most scary. We need suffering. Philippians 3.10, as we suffer, we share in Christ's suffering, and God uses it to mold us, develop us, cause us to trust and turn to him. I believe Tim Keller is correct. We suffer, we grow the most in our Christian faith and walk. Evidence. We have effort. It produces evidence. We see it. Other people see it. We praise God for it. And then finally, examination. Verses 16 through 18 the key, the key word here is holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even as I am being poured out as a drink offering. Paul says that 
in 1 Corinthians 3, 13 through 15, in John in Revelation 20, 12 through 13, Matthew 25, 31 through 46, there's going to be a day of examination. Okay, we're all going to stand before the throne. One day, every person is going to stand before God. And we're going to have to answer for our lives. We're going to have to answer for what we've been given. And if you haven't received salvation, you're going to answer for your life. So there's going to be an examination. Philippians 1, 20-22, As it is my eager expectation and hope, I will not be at all ashamed, but with the full courage, not as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Paul is reminding the church of Philippi that he's going to stand before God one day. And he's going to show that he was a part of a church that he produced, he discipled, he encouraged, he sent out, he held out the gospel. He was a light in the dark world. And he did all this with courage. He did all this with humility. He did all this with unity. And he put effort into it. Verse 17 says, the idea from Exodus 29, 40, it says, And there shall be one-tenth of the epoch of fine flour mixed with one-fourth of the hen, of beaten oil and one-fourth of the hen, of wine for a drink offering, with one lamb. Paul is saying that the idea is that both in Old Testament and in the Greek world where Paul was, they would take some wine and the sacrifice of the lamb, they would pour it out over the sacrifice. And Paul says, I'm being poured out for you guys. And there's great joy and there's faithfulness because I am loyal to God and I am full of excitement that God will use me in your lives. Um, Christy was talking about joy, and, and I have struggled a long time with what is joy exactly. As I was looking at joy, as best as I can discover, and I'm probably wrong, but it has to do with eternal things. It's knowing that you are a Christian and that when you die, you're going to go to heaven and that God loves you right now and you're in a personal relationship. I think that's kind of the definition of joy. God loves me. I'm in a relationship with him. And I have an eternal home in heaven as I pass through this life. Well, gee, what is Knox? When I, when I fail, when I blow it, when the church blows it, what can, what can you tell me? Well, here's the deal. We run to Jesus Christ. Thank goodness Jesus is not like me and he's not like you. And Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 8, 12. Our Jesus, our Savior, he was always light and darkness. He was light that came into our dark heart. And we run to that light. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him die, deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus wants us to follow him. He wants me, crazy bared. He wants me to follow him and be a disciple. Deny myself, take up my cross. There is 
therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus, when we stand before him, is not going to judge us on our work, our life. He's going to look at Jesus Christ and says, I don't see, I'll pick somebody, I don't see Davis, I see Jesus. Davis, I don't see your sins. I know you sinned, I got them right here, but I see Jesus who, I see Jesus who took all your sins. And so you're in a right relationship with me. We get that, no condemnation. We get the Holy Spirit. Our efforts, our evidence, our examination is based on our love for Jesus. Courage, unity, humility, effort. May that be a mark of First Presbyterian Church. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that you love us. We thank you for the Apostle Paul who wrote this magnificent epistle from Rome. He was trumped up charges from people that were jealous and hated him. And yet he's full of joy because he knows what you're doing. Lord, may joy be a mark of this church, as well as unity and love and humility and effort. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.